Hi, awesomes. Welcome to another episode in our Extra Awesome series. From time to time, we take a break from our regular schedule to talk to interesting people who are doing awesome things. And today, I'm joined by the incredibly awesome blogger and author, Oshida Moore. In fact, I'm welcoming Oshida back to Sorta Awesome, as many of you will remember. Oshida joined me back in episode 48 of Sorta Awesome to introduce to us the concept of practicing shalom or peacemaking or wholehearted living. Well, since that time, Oshida has launched an amazing podcast, and today is release day for her first book, Shalom Sisters, Living Wholeheartedly in a Broken-Hearted World. So, Oshida, welcome back to Sorta Awesome. Thanks for having me back, Meg. I'm so excited to be here. I love the awesomes so much. So thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Well, I have been a cheerleader and I almost feel like a doula of sorts, like a prayer doula. <laughs> yes, you have been. <laughs> for this book, for Shalom Sisters, the book, since its earliest stages. And I am so excited that it's finally making its way into the world. It feels like finally for, for you, I'm sure, and for those of us who've kind of been getting to hear your thoughts as they were forming from the very beginning. And I truly, I know I've said this to you a million times, I cannot think of a time in our culture, in both the church and just our greater culture in the United States and globally, when this message has been more needed. So I know you are probably feeling the intensity of that as well. I I am. And, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this because it just seems like every time something new happens in the news, the same sort of question gets shared around, like, what do we do next? And what does it look like? Like, what is the church's responsibility? Or what is, how do I be a good neighbor? Or how, how do I be a good listener? And I just, for me, practicing shalom and looking at my life through the lens of shalom has really helped me feel empowered when something happens that I feel that's out of my control. I know I can live wholeheartedly right where I am and I can contribute to good, even though it feels like, you know, a small contribution. I know it's a, I know it's a big contribution to those in my context. And I think really that's why Shalom is such an important like value for me that I love so much and I've shaped my life around. So yeah, yeah. So great. So great. Well, let's kind of start at the beginning. For anybody who has not heard um, your podcast or hasn't heard your your um, introduction to the idea of Shalom back on episode 48 of Sort of Awesome, let's talk, before we dig into talking about the book, let's talk just really generally about what do you mean when you talk about this idea of practicing the art of Shalom? Like, where, where do we find its roots? And mm-hmm. what is how does some such an ancient concept find application in a modern context? Yeah, so I mean, so for context for me, I'm coming at it but with a Christian perspective because I've I found Shalom a lot in the Bible. But actually this idea of like the world as it should be, the world flourishing and good and vibrant and people living wholeheartedly in in the world, that's a concept that is found in lots of di- different traditions, lots of different religions. And so for me, when I talk about Shalom, I am saying, how do I be my very best 
in this circumstance. So how do I feel really at peace and whole within myself? How do I feel at peace and whole within my relationship to my higher power? In my case, my faith in Jesus. How do I feel at peace and at whole within my relationships with others? And then how do I feel at peace and whole within my relationships with the world and the systems of the world and the physical world? So for me, when I study the idea of shalom and when I hear people talk about shalom, a lot of times they are referencing like peace. But for a lot of us in the West, peace has a very surface meaning. It's mm. like, I don't want the babies to be screaming while I'm cooking dinner. Like that to, yes. that to some people is peace. And that is a totally valid way of looking at peace. Sure. But the reason why I like to think about shalom versus peace in these instances is because shalom is a richer picture and it gives me so many more opportunities and entry points of living wholeheartedly than just saying, I want peace. Like yes. that feels a little nebulous to us sometimes. Definitely, definitely. And one of the things that was very eye-opening for me in the study of what shalom is or what we mean when we talk about peacemaking is that it's such an active process. Mm-hmm. I think you're so right. In the West, we do tend to think of peace um, and maybe even the idea of peacemaking as being fairly passive, but truly the idea of, of bringing people and relationships and um, systems, even bigger systems mm-hmm. than ourselves into wholeness is truly, it's an active thing where you're going to get in and, and you're going to get your hands dirty kind of, yes. kind of work. Yes. I like to think of peacemaking sometimes. I'm not a gardener. And I mean, I hate, I don't even know. Is there a way of saying that I don't have a green thumb than <laughs> saying a black thumb? Well. Because I mean, that's the case for me because I'm African-American. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes. Like I am not a gardener by any stretch of the imagination. But when I think of Shalom, I think of flourishing. I think of like a really vibrant, green, healthy, like garden. And and for me, like how do I make things in my life vibrant and healthy and whole and and I mean, if you're going to make your garden that way, you got to get your hands dirty. So if you're mm. going to make your life and your community and even your like internal the way, like how you feel internally, like if you're going to do that, you're going to have to get your hands dirty metaphorically. So, yes. yeah, I feel like peacemaking gets this like gentle and quiet rep. And it really is not that it's a very active and aggressive thing, which is why I like to say like, I'm not your typical peacemaker. Like, <laughs> I like my sass and I like my sarcasm. And I will tell somebody about themselves if they're not, you know, if they're violating shalom, if they're not, if they're not doing their best to seek out the needs of others, or they're being aggressive and in a hurtful way, I will say something. I'm not afraid of conflict. And I think we need to be encouraging peacemakers to not be afraid of conflict and to take to think about peacemaking as more of like a like you said an active thing where we participate in and it's a very brave and courageous way of living i love it <laughs> i love that garden metaphor and the idea of if you want beauty and flourishing to happen then there's going to be some there's going to be some sweat there's going to be some you know watering when it's inconvenient which reminds me my my 10-year-old daughter finally convinced us this year to let um, her take over our very untended to flower bed in front of our house. And she was uh-huh. so excited and, and it, it yeah. looks amazing. But the actual work of it, like the daily work of watering and weeding and all of that, she's not been quite so excited about, which is it's a, it's a <laughs> metaphor for life, right? Exactly. Yes. I love that. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, 
I wish I had a garden because my daughter is very much like that too. She loves a good project. Yes. And so I wish we, we live in an apartment. I wish I had a garden for her. But the other day, like we made this really delicious apple crisp and she said, mom, like, why can't we just do more things together? Like more projects. I'm like, Aww. oh Lord, I'm going to have to like pull up a Pinterest board of projects <laughs> for my 10 year old. <laughs> yes, totally. Totally. Well, speaking of your daughter and this idea that the work of Shalom and of peacemaking is where you're going to get your hands dirty to see beauty and growth in your community. I have to tell you that one of my very favorite chapters in Shalom Sisters, which I am so thankful to have gotten to have read already, is chapter 12, where you talk about Jesus's party planners and how we <laughs> will build bridges, not walls. And you really set up the whole context for this idea of what um, bridge building is going to look like in our lives, based on a story that happened with your daughter and a dance that was being used as a fundraiser at her school. And I was wondering if you could just kind of give us a little bit of that story and how that ended up being a fantastic uh, situation for your whole family to do some some bridge building. Yeah. So, um, so when we moved here to LA, we moved to a school district that, so I, for, so for context, engage, engaging in my kids' school looked one way in Cambridge because the school systems are different and the expectations for parents are different. And so, and I really loved being like party planner. I really loved doing that stuff in Cambridge. And so when we moved here to Los Angeles, um, like the values are a little bit different and the way that they fundraise and the way that they interact with parents are different and, you know, everywhere has different, you know values and goals or whatever. So it took me a while to sort of figure out like, oh, this school really loves their events. Mm. And they really love like they really lean into fundraising, like make having some fun event as a form of a fundraiser. And because we live in a more affluent little suburb outside of like oh, 20 minutes from downtown LA, um, there's a lot more disposable income here than when we lived in Cambridge, where it was a very like socioeconomically diverse community like we lived in public housing in Cambridge um but like two blocks away was like a million dollar condo where the parents were engineers and professors at Harvard so it's like you know uh I really loved that environment for my daughter here it's been different because we've had to contend with a lot of like class stuff and it came out in one of these events I really wanted to be a part of like thinking about the planning of one event that they had which was called the father-daughter dance, which is, it happens a lot. I mean, father-daughter dances are happening across our country yes. in the spring all the time, all the time. Yes. Um, but so they were going to use a father-daughter dance to fundraise. And so the first year that they promoted it, and it was like special because only like the third, fourth, and fifth graders could go or something like that, or fourth through sixth, whatever. Like once you hit a certain grade, it was like, oh, that's your thing. You do father-daughter. Um, and so the first year that they were planning it, they sent out the uh, invitation to the girls, it's this big deal. And I look at it, it's not an invitation to a party. It's like, obviously it's a fundraiser. And the ticket price was just so steep. And my husband is a pastor. And so traditionally pastors don't make a lot of money. Um, Los Angeles in and of itself is an expensive city to live in. And so like our margin for extra fun things uh, for our kids was very, was very little, very, very small. And so we told our daughter, like, we're really sorry, can't go, but you have two more years that you can attend this dance. We'll really try our best to make sure it happened next year. 
So, and she was okay with that because, you know, I heard you once say on the podcast that you got very used to hearing, like, we'll do that on payday. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> like, kids are very used to hearing, like, we can't, that doesn't work in our budget or that's not in line with our values, which is what happened the next year. So the next year, the father-daughter dance happened again. And, um, the price, came, the invitation came, the ticket price was like $5 less, but we were in a position to afford it this time. And so I was prepared to do it. But then I thought, um, I remembered how I felt last year and feeling so sad about not being able to go. In fact, that, that last year, my daughter was crying the day of the dance. And I, I called the event, like the person overseeing the event. And I said, Hey, can I just come and help set up so that my daughter can just can come? Like it, I, she's crying. I'm heartbroken. We can't afford it. So can I just, or can I bring like store brought cupcakes or something? Like, can we, can I just contribute something that I can afford right now so that my daughter doesn't feel left out? Right. And they said, no, the prior year. So I kind of already knew that this committee wasn't really thinking about like other students or weren't, they weren't very interested in like you making it accessible to everyone. Right. So, yeah. so the next year I was sitting, I was about to fill out the check. And I thought about myself last year, like just desperate to try to get my daughter there, knowing that I couldn't afford it. And so I emailed them. This was a few weeks before the dance. I emailed and I said, hey, you know, I am excited to send my daughter. Uh, This was my story last year. I know from what my daughter said that there are students who are in that same boat that can't afford it. Can I give an extra $20 above my my daughter's ticket price, my husband and daughter's tickets, um, to put towards a scholarship fund? Or if you don't want to oversee that, can I help, you know, oversee a scholarship fund? Or just it's like some way to make sure that kids of lower income can attend the dance too, because I feel like every little girl who has a father that wants to do, you know, YMCA on the dance floor with her should be able to go. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, and I got an email back and they were like, thank you. It's a very kind, but no. And in that moment, and this is where the, in the book I talk about, like, I realized that this was a moment for me to practice Shalom. And it was going to be really hard because I knew that when they sent me that email, that they were set, they were building a wall. They were Mm. saying that these people and these, these kids, um, are allowed to come in this space. And right. you know, we've set up the we've set it up so that only those who can afford it, only those who have father figures in their lives. Like there's one little girl who when they handed out the invitations at school, she ran off and started crying because her parents are going through a really contentious divorce and her mm. dad her dad is not in the picture. When I mean, he is in the picture, he's just being spiteful. And her, her uncle um her uncle is like really close to her, but they there he was undocumented, so there were some concerns sure. about him. So there's just all these things where my daughter came home and she was like, This little girl can't even go. But you know, still like little girls are like, But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get my dance on. Yes. So Yeah, yeah. So my daughter was laying it was in the other room and I was like, I I, I really deeply feel like if I send her that we're contrib- we're adding a brick to the wall. Um and and I don't want to do that. I don't want to continue being a part of a system that's building a wall, it's time for me to be a bridge builder. Mm. So I had to go tell my daughter that she, that we were not going to be sending her to the dance. And like, of course I, she cried that I was ruining her life. And, you know, we cried for a while because she really, really, really wanted to go. Sure, yeah. But I told her that we had a unique opportunity to say that we weren't going to participate in this system that was causing pain to so many students that, we're on the margins that the people who empower should be looking out for. So we could be the ones that are looking out for them. Mm. So then I said, why don't we think of a way to build bridges? 
And that's when this party that we threw kind of came into the picture. We decided to throw a party as a way of building bridge uh, for these for these kids. And so we called it the Everyone Come Party. Yes. And my, my husband made a flyer and my daughter went to school the next day when she was supposed to turn in her her. Um, you know, form with the with the payment. When she was supposed to turn that in, she instead she didn't turn it in. She brought this stack of flyers and they handed it out to everyone, Love all it. the girls. And she said, Come to my house. We're having an everyone come party. And there was like a little boy who like loves to get his groove on and he couldn't understand why he didn't get invited. Like why is it only father daughter? <laughs> and my, my sister was like, you can come. It was she was like Oprah that day. Oh, yes. and, you, and you can come. <laughs> and everybody come to the party. Oh, I love it. I love that you took a situation where, first of all, that you had the awareness to see, not only have we been in this situation, but we know that other people are in this situation of not being able to go with that feeling of exclusion. Mm-hmm. And you were driven by that, um, this just the noticing of like, hey, I got to step back for just a second and examine what it is that we're, you know, what's being built here. And that instead of um, either participating in it or even just complaining about it, that you guys turned it into an actual party. I love that. And I think that that is such a beautiful picture of how creative peacemaking can be and how creative the art of shalom and the practice of shalom can be. We think it's, you know, it sounds very serious and very, right. you know, <laughs> like very austere and whatever, but it can actually take the form of a party. So tell us how that all turned out then. Oh my gosh. So it was, it was really fun. And I think, okay. So the, for me, <clears throat> I was nervous because you know, I, I my kids go to a predominantly white school, so I'm the black parent. So of course, everybody expects me to be like super political or militant, whatever. And so I was afraid of being that parent, you know, already. Sure. But I felt so strongly that if the administration or those in leadership were not going to look out for the people on the margins, if they weren't going to, you know, we every year the the school has some sort of like rallying theme that's like we are family or you know we do this together or hashtag better together whatever like every like every year the school has this i puts out this idea that we are we belong to each other basically Mm -hmm. and but if in the way that they were planning events in the way that they were executing them Uh that communicated that we're not better together, that there are some who are better than others. I felt like it was my responsibility as a Shalom practitioner in my community to say, "Mm -mm, no, like flourishing is not happening for these children who are really legitimately sad and they feel left out. And you know, Meg, the, the, the hard thing about it is it's not just the, the event itself. It's the leading up to the event. So on reset, on the recess yard, the kids are talking about it and they're starting to have that FOMO. And then afterwards, the girls are talking about, oh, it was so fun. And we built this friendship or we had a sleepover afterwards. And those kids are feeling left out. It's just, it's, I just looked at it and was like, this machine is broken and how do we fix it? And so we fixed it with the party. So, um, but what I was most shocked with was I posted to Facebook, that we were not doing the father-daughter dance. I know that some of the moms who go to my kids' schools are friends with me on Facebook. And I posted, like, why we weren't going to do it and that and why we were throwing the party. And I put the flyer up, you know, in the photo section. Mm-hmm. And it was surprising to me, Meg, because I started getting 
messages from people who were not just saying like, thank you for saying that, or thank you for, you know, speaking out against it, or thank you for, for having another opportunity. But I started getting messages from people all across the country that were saying, well, if you're going to do this, can I Venmo you $20? Or can I send over a couple of pizzas? Or do you have a DJ? Or, you know, what, what's your plans? And for me, it became this beautiful picture. Of, I was built. We were building a bridge between the girls who could go to the dance and the girls who could not. So we were building a bridge there. But I was. We were also building a bridge between our practice of shalom right in our community with people and mm. they're in, in the and around the country. Other other shalom sisters all around were like rallying and saying like, "This is an important thing for you to be modeling for your daughter. We want to celebrate you. We want to support you." And that was the most surprising thing to me is that how when one person steps out and says. I'm going to seek peace. I'm going to seek shalom for this this situation. That other people are motivated by it and they say, I want to be a part of that too. And it just makes it so much easier for us to take that courageous step when we know we have this tribe of women who are not having it anymore. We are not having it for marginalization and for rejecting of the poor and for, and for building these walls when we really should be caring for one another. Oh my gosh, I feel like I am sitting in church and I'm just like, oh, I love it. I just am about to fall out of my chair because I'm just like, I'm trying not to clap into the microphone and just, (laughs) I love this. And I think, again, it's just such a beautiful picture of having an imagination, having a willingness, because I'm sure for you, Oshita, and for your daughter, that there was some uncomfortableness. You talked about your own, just like how are the other moms going to perceive me? Um, for girls at this age, that tw- those tween years, it's very hard to like step outside of what everybody else is doing. So there was some discomfort, but then on the other end of it, when it all came together, so much joy and such a beautiful picture of what can happen when we use our imaginations and just try to be a little bit more creative in yeah. how we are bringing people into wholeness around us. So yeah, yeah, I love that story. I love it. (laughs) I feel like for me, you know, when I look back at that story, because my daughter and I do talk about it. I mean, it's I feel like, you know, you're a mom of of daughters. And Mm so for me, sometimes something will happen. And it's like a it's like a hallmark for her. Like she goes back to it and says like, Oh, do you remember when we did this thing? And so there are things that like, she said to me the other day, like, do you remember when we went to go to see this musical on Broadway, like, but like, she'll, go, she'll say, do you remember when we threw the everyone come party? Mm. And we'll have a conversation about that. And for me, what I'm learning is that if I'm going to be a bridge builder, the most important thing for me, when I look back at that was that I had experienced what, what it was like to be on the other side. Yes. And by because of our circumstances, I was forced to experience that. But I think a lot of times we are not forced to experience things because of our social social contacts or, um, and so one of the ways that I can be a really prolific bridge builder is to start by saying, who are the people in my life that I don't think about or that I don't have to think about? And how can I learn a little bit more about their experience? So I love podcasts that tell stories about like undocumented people or they tell stories about immigration or they tell stories about, you know, LGBTQ struggle. Like I love to listen to podcasts about people for people's lives that I'm not going to experience what their story is. Like I'll never experience that. But if I can learn and have a compassion and access their humanity, Mm. then when their struggle, when I'm faced with participating and championing them and building a bridge for them and reminding other people of their humanity and saying, I belong to the, 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 you know, the dreamer as much as I belong to my daughter Mm. or my, 
when I get to that point, I think that is what helps me have an imagination or be creative about a bridge that I can build. Because one of the things that I have learned about being a peacemaker is that we, that there's no one size fits all response and there's no one size fits all peacemaker. So like we bring our personality, we bring our context, we bring our experiences to a situation. And our baseline question is how do I seek wholeness right here with what's in my hands? And that's really why I have the manifesto points in the book. That's really why I wrote the book is I just wanted to encourage every single woman who says like, can I be a part of doing good in the world? I want to encourage her and say, yes, you can, because you have something right in your hands to contribute right now. So So awesome. And so, (laughs) so true. So yes, let's talk about the book. Today is release day. I know that you have been, I'm sure you've had this date circled on your calendar for a long time. But here we are. Shalom Sisters is out in the world. Please remind all of our awesomes or tell us, remind us where all we can find it and just anything else we need to know about the book being out now. The book is available. I don't want to be like wherever fine books are. (laughs) Buy it on Amazon. (laughs) Or I think, yeah, on christianbook.com, like you can buy it, but I buy it on Amazon. Um, And yeah, if you purchase the book, so I I have some pre-order goodies that I'm giving away for, um, that I'm extending for the first week of book launch because they're so fun and I would love to make sure everybody gets a a hold of them. So we have the Shalom System Manifesto laid out in a really cool graphic um, and sort of like if you picture like in this house, we will kind of graphics that my husband made this really beautiful printable. Um, So that's a download and it has all 12 points of the manifesto. Um, And then uh, the next thing is in the book, I talk a lot about New Orleans because it starts out with us evacuating New Orleans because of Hurricane Katrina. That's right. And that's and that's really where um, I felt like I was my best peacemaker because I was fitting into that this picture of a peacemaker that we have of like the person who goes into a rough neighborhood and like says stop it guys we belong to each other like put your guns down like like we were doing the work of moving into a rough neighborhood and really building relationships with people and I felt like my best peacemaker when we were in New Orleans but then Katrina happened and we were literally blown out of our city well not literally but like you know we were we lost everything in Hurricane Katrina and we had to restart our lives in Boston Yes. And I was just your suburban mom making apple crisp and taking kids on walks. And and I didn't feel like a peacemaker. And so for me, I draw this connection between um, in Boston. I continued a lot of the traditions that I picked up in New Orleans. And one of them was making red beans and rice every Monday. So red beans and rice is a really fun, yummy recipe that I make every Monday. But it's super easy. And that's also the day that I do my laundry. Uh-huh. And that's a tradition that I picked up in and uh, New Orleans, which is really tied to the culture of New Orleans. And so, and I found myself doing that in Boston. And so one of the things that I say is that um, as a believer, I really believe that um, we are called to embody the culture of the kingdom of God. And when we think of heaven, we think of it as a place of rest, of joy, of peace, of flourishing, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do we embody that? How do we bring that to bear right on this earth that feels really broken and not and full of conflict and sometimes really 
uh, hurtful and really sad. And how do we bring that to bear? And so I have this idea that like Shalom is the culture of the kingdom of God and we carry Shalom everywhere we go in the same way that every city I've moved in, like even here in Los Angeles, I make red beans and rice on Monday. I carried that piece of culture from New Orleans with me everywhere I go, the same way I carry the culture of the kingdom of God everywhere I go. So one of the other pre-order giveaways that I'm giving is a little spice kit of like the spices that I use in when I make my red beans and rice. And so I give that away as well. And then I have my favorite giveaway, which is our subversive joy anthems, yes. which is <laughs> which is like a collaborative uh, playlist. I mean, it has a lot of stuff for me, but uh, a lot of songs that are mentioned in the book. But then it's also collaborative from my launch team of books that really help them access joy because I feel like, um, and this goes along with what we were talking about with the building bridges, not walls, like the the party, like like even when things feel broken, even when things feel really hard, even when we're really in the midst of seeking wholeness in a situation and our hands are really dirty, like we can still like throw them up and have a dance party and we can still seek joy and find the things that bring us joy in the midst of that. And that doesn't mean we're not truly doing the work of peacemaking. And that doesn't mean that we are being insensitive, but that's saying like, I'm not going to let myself get pulled under by the pain. I'm going to allow myself to still remember that the world is good and there's good in, in this, there's good in the situation and I'm going to have joy. So it's like, as a verse of, you're not going to, take me down. Um, so our subversive joy playlist is full of songs that like talk about, I was down, but now I'm better. Or like, look at the beauty in the world. And it's all of our favorite songs. I mean, I think for me, my daughter and I love to listen to it because Whitney Houston's, uh, I want to dance with somebody comes on like pretty regularly on that playlist. Uh And that is go to like, I, I almost always want to dance when something, when something feels really hard, when I'm having when I'm having a rough time, when I'm feeling really powerless, I'm like, you know, dance it out. I know it's so Grey's Anatomy of me, but really, dance it out. Um, and so the Subversive Joy playlist is part of one of those pre-orders. So if any of the awesomes um, purchase the book, then they can um, just email me at um, Oshitas, and that's O-S-H-E-T-A-S, Shalom, S-H-A-L-O-M, at gmail.com. Just email me like a screenshot of your order, and then I'll make sure that those pre-order goodies are sent your way. Oh so. my gosh, that's so amazing. So generous. And I know that just the book is going to be so powerful. And I really, truly believe so paradigm shifting for anybody who picks it up. So I 100% give all of the stamps of approval on this one. It's so great. And, and thank we've, you. We've been waiting for this message and the time is here. So I'm so excited for you, Oshita. Thank you so much for taking time. I know you're super busy. Book launch is crazy time. So thank you so much for taking the time to come back to Sorta Awesome and share about the oh. book. I mean, seriously, Meg, like this book really did start with episode 48 because I really, like I said, I really love the awesomes. And that episode really opened my eyes to like, oh yeah, I'm super passionate about talking about this. <laughs> yeah, I should write a book. So in a lot of ways, this book is a love letter to the awesomes because it Aww. started on your show and you have been this book's doula. <laughs> so thank you for helping me get it out into the world. Thank you. Thank you for those words. Well, awesomes, thank you guys so much for listening. We will have links, of course, to Oshita's book as well as her blog and podcast in today's show notes if you would like to find her elsewhere. So thanks for listening and we'll see y'all next time.